We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. After this week's executive orders and the Muslim ban, I thought it was very important that we hear a voice from that community. And this week I bring to you Aliyah Ali, who is a Yemeni Bosnian American. Yeah, she's all of those things. She encompasses all of those things in her identity. And it's, and I think it's very important that we realize that as Americans, we are all multidimensional and most of us are multicultural. Guys, her artwork is phenomenal. She's phenomenal. You guys, help me welcome Aliyah Ali to the Working Artist Project. First of all, Darian, I want to say thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really honored to be here and also with, you know, somebody who's putting out a resource into the world, but also an artist. I want to start because I think your story is super interesting. And I, I want to kind of start at the beginning of your story to talk about how you got into art and why you create. So I think create is quite it's a big word. You know, it's an it's a it's a it's a heavy word. And um, I think that a lot of people create uh, some people may not be so attuned to it or may have not had the opportunity to. But a lot of people create, you know, you have architects, you have programmers, you have lawyers, uh, dancers, theaters, writers um, and also art. And I think the idea about it is also taking an idea and bringing it into fruition, you know, making it alive. So it becomes a part of this process. And for me specifically, that process is so important, you know, to have something that kind of, you know, either throws me off, makes me question uh, something that disturbs me, something that I want to share. And I sort of create a process for myself to bring an idea into fruition and through visual art. And that's what I really love. And then um, that and through that process, you know, I learn. And I think a lot of the people that I mentioned before, you know, it's I think there's that thing that keeps that adrenaline, keeps that excitement because you learn about yourself. Right. And then there's this other side about the creation that once you put the work out there, it's it's not just about putting it out. It's also about the response that you get, you know, I mean, one of my professors told me, he said, you know, just when you put your work on the wall or you expose it, that's just the beginning of it because that's when things get really exciting. That's where things are sort of out of your control because it's where you learn. The work becomes sort of a prop to get to know the people who are looking at it, who are engaging with it. And that ends up developing into new ideas and the process starts again. It's just so people know exactly what you do as a visual artist. Where do you classify yourself in the spectrum of visual arts? Categorization. <laughs> <laughs> they just they, they, they need something to hold on to, you know. I understand. I understand. It's something that we need. Um, I I consider myself a multimedia artist, and why I say that? I mean, I work visually a lot, and actually, I wish this is why I really. I love musicians because it's just I haven't been exposed to so much music and it's a language that has always kind of had my curiosity. I mean, I have so much respect for people who can use it as a language. And for me, I've sort of held on to the visual, you know, both of my parents are linguists. And so I grew up, you know, between seven languages. And I ended up finding out that language actually has a really strong power to unite people, but equally, it can be used to divide. Mm. And so, 
And, you know, and I think things like music, for example, you know, unites people much more than it divides people. Right. And, and do you, I mean, would you agree? Oh, 100%. And, and like you said, mainly, mainly because they're, the language of music is universal. So you can't, you can't claim a tribe. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. It's an experience and people experience it in a different way. And you know that feeling where you listen to it and it brings you back. It brings a sense of like longing, you know, it brings you back to this place. And it can happen in food, too. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. we both lived in New Orleans, right? Oh, listen. So- <laughs> <laughs> And so they got that figured out. You know what I mean? They have right. that figured out. They're like food and music. And this can, you know, you can access everybody through that. And so for me, my language that I ended up becoming visual and it was a way. Yeah. So I, so I work, I started off as a documentary filmmaker and I really wanted to use, uh, you make films that were non-narrated that did not have a language to make it more accessible to the world. Oh. And, yeah. And then I, I realized, you know, documentary is also very, it's about putting out an idea and trying to, you know, it's also convincing people. And I didn't necessarily want to give people answers. I wanted to raise questions, you know, and I wanted people to sort of work a little bit to find find their own answers. And I found that through the visual arts. So I, I use photography. I also think that tactile things are important. So I've gotten into using textiles and fabric and I do moving images. So using, using projections, for example. Right. The one yeah. piece on your website I thought was really interesting with the women holding the globe. Oh yeah. Atlas. Atlas. Yes. That was like, how did you come up with that? So <clears throat> it came through this idea of and thank you for referencing that. Um, it's something that I did actually in college. And I imagined this moment where I went to an all women's college, Wellesley. Um, it's in Massachusetts. And it was this, you know, a people, a lot of people kind of think like, wait a second, you know, that must be terrible. You know, you're just all around all the time. And, and, <laughs> and for me, it was actually an amazing experience because it was sort of like an experiment. You know, what if every position that was available was filled by women? And it gave me an opportunity. It gave all of us an opportunity to try to experiment and fill these positions and say, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do this, you know? And yeah, yeah, it was really, you know, and when you come into, I don't know if I appreciate it so much being there, but when I left, I realized, oh, there's not a lot that I can't do. It just takes some, you know, some thinking and, you know, I don't have to do it the way other people do it. I can do it the way that I do it, you know, because maybe... You know, we all do it so differently. And the, the the work that you're referring to, just because we're on a podcast, I'll describe it as it's visual. It has five women, all of whom are nude. And they are of different ethnicities, different sizes, different shapes. You know, you don't, you know, you don't see this, but just to know there are different sexual preferences. And I asked them to hold a globe. And in this globe, they move it, they maneuver it, they manipulate it, they take it around their body. And it's interesting how each of them move with it so differently and they fuse into the other. And it's actually a slow motion that's meant to show over five meters. Wow. And so the idea is that the person, the viewer, is meant to move around these bodies that are also sort of sculptures and to actually look at how the body, you know, how every body is unique. I mean, we look at, for example, these magazines and we think, oh, everybody looks like this and everybody's breasts look like this and everybody's nipples look like this. And we look at our own bodies and we think, well, we don't look like this. But in fact, they're so different. It's an entire world. And the possibilities that we have are as endless as the types of women we can be and that we are. 
Wow. There it is. That's deep. <laughs> Thank you. Man, that was a, that was a while ago. And yeah. Um, yeah, interesting enough, I started off working a lot with nudes and now I work with fabric. And as you know, with completely people that are entirely enveloped in fabric. So it went from one end to the other. <laughs> yeah. Now, what what's the, the fabric piece called? So there are two, and it started with one called uh, Cast No Evil. Those those are very interesting to me, especially when I looked at it, I was like, okay, you're a Muslim woman. And I, I looked at the, I, you know, saw the art before I read read the descriptions and, and your whole thing or whatever. So I was like, wow, I wonder what this can mean. Is this like about covering or like what what are you trying to say here? You know, it was very interesting to, to see that and then use my imagination to, to try to decipher what message you were trying to come get across to the viewer. So I'm going to ask you a question then. Okay. <laughs> you know, when you were looking at it, what were some of you're saying that, you know, what you were imagining and rather than thinking about what I was trying to say, what did you what did you get out of it? And well, I will say, I'll preface this by saying, if you even kind of hated it, then tell me, because that even is a very powerful reaction. And that's also important, you know? Right. I, I didn't hate it, for sure. But well, it was interesting for me because I this past year, I lived in Qatar for three months. and Really? Know, yeah, I was there working, you know. Okay. And so I was like, wow, this it just took me back because women there cover completely. I mean, most, the majority, right. not all, they, they don't have to, but the majority of them choose to. And so it just brought me back to images of those women, like walking down the street. But, and it was interesting for me to live in that situation because I could still see their, how much of a woman they were, even when they were fully mm. covered. And I was still very attracted to it, just the way they walked. Mm. It just made me notice different things about them you know even though i couldn't see them like i you know if you know middle eastern women at least in that part of the world they wear a lot of perfume so you could smell them before you see them mm -hmm. and it was right. just like all of these different different senses that i was using to be seduced by these women who were not trying to seduce me you know so mm. I, and so that your the imagery of your art took me back to that place you know and also it made me think about maybe some of the women in other countries who are being forced to cover because there there are no features in the in your art. It's just like cloth. So it's like, man, are, what are, what are you, are you hiding? You know what I mean? Like it just, I was like, wow, this is very interesting. Man, I really appreciate. That's a very honest answer, and I really, really appreciate that. And I also appreciate that you're bringing your own notion to it, because a lot of people also haven't been, and maybe for some of the listeners, haven't actually been exposed to people who, to women who are, you know, people in general who are totally covered. Mm -hmm. And I think also you're right. What ends up happening is that when all this, the, the visual, the sight is removed, what is left? And you're talking about the perfume and you're talking about, you know, you suddenly look at the movements and, you know, you can, you can notice certain things and the gaze and suddenly the eyes become very important. Right. And, you know, what? Um, that's one thing. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but. Oh, no, not at all. I, one thing I noticed in Qatar is women would look you in the eyes. Like in America, women divert their eyes when you walk down the street but there they look you square in the eye i was like wow okay and then when the first couple of times I was like wow i wasn't expecting that it kind of threw me off you know and then you kind of get used to it it's like it's i don't know what it means culturally but it, it was just very interesting for me coming being an american man you know yeah absolutely i mean i think there's there's a lot there that you kind of touched on because for example so so where i grew up which is yemen um, actually every door, every house, there were two doors. There's always one for the men 
okay. and one for families. And so it's the same for restaurants. It's the same for shops. You know, there's a family section in which every, you know, you go into the, and this might've been the same in, in Qatar, where you go in and you have sort of, you're covered so that women can, you know, remove their veil and eat, right. you know, in privacy. Um, and it was the same in, in, in Yemen. And in a way, and women were very happy about this. I mean, even me growing up, I kind of liked what was, I liked that, you know, and I, I played on two roles because my mother is, even though she's Muslim, she's Bosnian at the time, Yugoslav, she was, you know, Eastern European. She didn't veil. Ah. Um, she's blonde and blue eyed. She lived sort of this, you know, we had a like European living room. And then I would go into the, my dad's, the men's section. And it was, you know, a traditional Yemeni mafraj, which is a, you know, a living room. And I would be able to be in both of these worlds, which is something that a lot of people, a lot of children don't, um, including the boys, you know, especially when you get into adolescence. Now, bringing it back to this, this, um, this piece, there is also, there's a, it, it's it's a question about power. So this series was about. It's called "Cast No Evil," as in bring no judgment to it. Mm. And and at the same time, we inevitably look at it and we try to seek out information because there's a power of seeing. Seeing in itself is a power, mm. but also to be seen is a power. You know, I mean, we show ourselves, but we you know think about, for example, who are the people that veil. Everybody veils. Everybody veils. Avatars are a veil. Hmm. And what we choose to release is what we choose for people to see and how they see us. You know, I mean, as politicians, for example, you know, you, I mean, there are endless examples of how there are different forms of veiling. It can be used, you know, there's a power in being anonymous, even to a danger. I mean, we can talk about, you know, the, the, I actually did a piece within that series, which is called Bandana, and it reflects on white bandanas and black bandanas, and they're created with white hoods and black hoods. Yeah. And, and you know, we immediately reference a really horrible time, which is something, or not even time, it's something that is a part of the United States history that unfortunately still sort of exists, that, that exists, you know, and it's this sort of legacy that the Ku Klux Klan has sort of kept. And there's a power of being anonymous, of committing dangerous things and horrid crimes because you're anonymous. Right. On the other hand, if somebody is putting that hood on you, you know, if somebody is forcing to confine you, then that also becomes something where your power is being taken. And that that same hood, which is, you know, it's a hood, but it's black, was put on the prisoner in Iraq in the um, call, in the prison called Abu Ghraib, which was found by a journalist where, um, you know, Iraqis were being tortured and not all of them were necessarily quote unquote terrorists. And so that picture became famous. And this work was an ode to that prisoner. And uh, it's called bandanas. And I think there's this question that I ask in the series that are we, you know, are they powerful for their anonymity? Or are we powerful for their confinement? And it's for you to choose whether or not the characters. That's, that is so deep. But you know, what I, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I mean, there's a way also that we, in, in a way, even with music and with our art, we reveal ourselves. It's not sometimes people tell me, well, you hide behind your art. And I said, no, I reveal myself through my art. Right. In the situation of the veil in the United States, for example, I mean, women who cover, let's say, in West Asia, you know, which some people, you know, would refer as Middle East, but as in West, West Asia or North Africa or different parts of the world, then 
you know, that's a different case of when somebody, in, a woman in Washington, D.C. is covering her head. That is her revealing herself more, saying, I am a Muslim. Right. You know, so it, it plays on how is it that we cover ourselves? What are these bo- barriers? The fabric becomes this question about what are the things that make us different? These fabricated ba- barriers, the barriers that we as a society create to make ourselves different from each other. You know, who are the excludes and who are the includes? Mm. And what's interesting about this, that series specifically is that I chose to become the model. So I'm, I'm doing portraits of myself. So when I cover myself in fabric, I actually don't know what the photograph will be because I want to be both the observer and the observed. You know, and it goes back to what you were saying about, the, you know, seeing these women in Qatar. You know, I, I want to play you and I want to play her. Wow. And, wow. And, and we have to think about, you know, Kind of, it's a long process, but it's a precious process. Man, that like this whole conversation is so heavy. I'm like, damn. <laughs> we need to meet. <laughs> right, right. It's like, dang, dude. Wow, oh, man, this is crazy. Well, you you mentioned borders in that last in our last exchange here, and I'm curious to know just to switch gears to what's happening here in our own country. Uh, how do you feel about our current president putting up borders and? separating people and not allowing people to come in from certain places because of imaginary circumstances. There's, there are a lot of first reactions that happen when I, and and I'm going to go to specifically that, you know, there's been sort of a development that, you know, I think a lot of us, but I'm going to speak for myself that I've had to allow settle in. And the first, and I already knew that certain bands of different kinds would happen. There was a fear. There was a question of what they would be. And this was one of those things, the, the, the Muslim ban was something that had, it was a ban that had already exist during the Bush era. Right. You know, we came to the States, I lived through the September 11th and post-September 11th um, time. And, and at that time, I was very confused of who I was. And a lot of things were taken from me. My language was taken from me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't speak Arabic. My father one day came home and said, from today, we are only speaking English. Really? I had... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I had, uh, in fact, so much that I completely forgot Arabic that I had to relearn it at university. What? Yeah, I completely lost it. And I worked really hard at going back. And, you know, what's even bizarre was that this was an American university that then encouraged me also to go and make a documentary back in Yemen to say, yes, you need to go back and understand what is this question of belonging that you're looking for. Um, And I did. And I and I took, you know, I studied, you know, Middle Eastern studies and um, I took Arabic and it's it came back to me, but it was an opportunity for it to come back to me as an adult And, and, it, you know, and, it, and, and, and all of these things that were, you know, my name, my full, you know, my, I go by Ali Ali, which is uh, Alia, the daughter, you know, Alia bint Ali, which is my father. And normally in Arab countries, and um, they would go your, you know, your name, your father's name, your grandfather's name, your tribal name. So my full name is Ali Ali Muhammad Radman Al-Qubati. And we immediately started questioning, oh, my God, we need to change our, we need to move our names, we need to do this. And, you know, I had the long conversation with my parents saying, no. <laughs> We're not. I'm not. And I always kept Ali Ali. And um, and for me, that's that that's some, immediately a signifier. This is who I am. When somebody's talking to me, they know, you know, it, it, maybe not specifically where I'm from, but I represent. I am an Arab woman. I am a culturally Muslim woman, and I am an American. And and all of these feelings kind of came up during this ban. Hmm. And what 
you know, all of these kind of during this during the Obama administration, the eight years, there's a lot of things that, you know, that I also had a problem with. More wars started. We're now in the longest war that has ever existed um, in the United uh, with the United States, which is in Afghanistan. The war started in my country in Yemen. However, a lot of this anxiety of what was feeling in this 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 movement to be who you are. And it made me want to come back to the United States and work. And there were a lot of problems, but I loved that era. <laughs> I really did. And I love a lot what he has done um, for how, for what him and Michelle Obama have done for me as an individual. And so now all of this, it was this, initially there was this fear of that being stripped away, but one can't strip that away. And what it made me think about was, first of all, this, you know, there's now this question about, is it legal? It made me question and look into the legality of things. It made me re-question my citizenship and kind of think, this is what I am. This is the power that I have. And it actually empowered me a lot because during September 11th, there was absolutely the opposite response. There was nobody protesting on behalf of Muslims. Right. There was nobody protesting on the behalf of Arabs. It was a, it was a, it was a strange, and there were a lot of people who were stuck in between, and me and my family were one of them. And I excused it because it was a time of learning. It was a time of growth, you know, for this country. And it was okay if I was a part of that, you know? And that's what kind of eventually inspired me to become an artist, and that gave me what I do, you know? Uh-huh. And it gave... Um, and now I think even more is that it gives me more of a purpose to work harder. And it gives not only the purpose for me, but also people, you know, other artists, you know, like yourself, that gives us a reason to question our government. We have the privilege that we can question our government. Um, in a lot of countries, we don't. I'm not going to let that go. And I think that it's absurd that there's it, it'll there's so much misunderstanding just with vocabulary alone that has come out. And I'll give you an example. All right. We're talking about Muslim countries, right? This Muslim ban, but these are not considered Muslim countries. They're just a Muslim majority country. These countries aren't, aren't Muslim, you know, there's so many different, you know, different tribes, different religions. I mean, there are a lot of indigenous people in these countries who actually don't even identify as Arab. They're small sects. I mean, there's, it's, that's one. Two, there's another question that's been coming out as I'm hearing through some of the politics is that people say, well, if we, you know, if they banned these seven countries, what about all of these other? And that's just a whole other conversation because it's like, wait a second, let's go back to the first question. These should not have been banned. Let's not talk about the other places that should have been banned. <laughs> exactly. You know? I mean, why is that even going into the next conversation? And so I I'm, I think that this is right now at least a great opportunity and we have to see it this way rather than getting ourselves tired and beaten down to say, look at how many people showed solidarity look at how many people put their jobs on you know on the line how many people are are willing to kind of go on strike and are also willing to learn more about what the gap is you know what it what is it and and suddenly it's because it's also their position and their freedoms are being and their liberties our liberties are being made vulnerable Mm. and it makes us because it makes us think of us, you know, and, and I, and I love that. And I love that. And that, and, and it's, you know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who is in Morocco and she said, she said, you know what, you know, there's always this whole problem about 
everybody always thinks that Americans hate, you know, Muslims and Americans hate Arabs and they're so against us. And this was actually incredible for the world to see because there was so much about the protests, about the vociferous response that people had against these bands that the world was saying, wow, no, that's not the case, you know? And how did you feel? I mean, somebody who is not, how did you react to that? You know, I was disgusted. Just utterly disgusted by the decision, and and I was like, this can't be happening in America. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, how many times do we have to do the same things over and over? You know, it's like we we've been down this road before. It's dumb. It doesn't work. Like, let's move on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can't believe that anyone in this country supports that. Period. Like, you know, I was kind of just pissed. Like, what what the fuck is happening? You know. <laughs> yeah yeah like, like just really in disbelief just complete disbelief like dude that's how i felt and i ben and i have to say i appreciate that so much and i also appreciate just that at this moment that also you sought out to find somebody who is a part of that community so just to thank you again because things like this like your podcast and people who realize that they have a voice are using it responsibly and using it in a way to say no let's put this out there let's have a discussion and let's get to know somebody in that community so thank you well i think it's important that everyone like gets to meet because people are in communities with no muslim people and they're forming Mm. opinions about muslim people based on what they see on the news and that's ridiculous so like Mm. you know someone needs like to present like hey guys like listen we're all out here together you know what i mean no matter who you pray to or whatever your situation is we're one people we're one energy absolutely and i think you mentioned one thing which is about the news and i think that that's also important also as 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 artists you know as journalists as you know it's also our responsibility our responsibility to put out different types of news um one thing that i would say i mean at this moment a lot of people have been contacting me are you okay is your family okay and you know and yes i'm okay and thank god you know i'm a I'm an American citizen <laughs> right. and I'm, and I'm not, you know, there was a moment where I kind of, I really felt betrayed when the inauguration, when the inauguration was going on, there was a little bit of moment where I thought, man, and I thought, no, I'm not going to abandon this. I'm not going to abandon this because this is who I am. When I say that I'm a Yemeni, Bosnian American, the American part of it is so important because this is where I was educated. Mm. This is it's there's something really beautiful about the United States that actually gives you the opportunity to create. And and for me, I have found that people here while in the process of while I'm processing, I'm not really judged by my mistakes. And perhaps this is by the people that I've been around, you know, but I haven't been judged by my mistakes. And and which it's it's, been more judged of how do you get out of that mistake? Hmm. How do you fix it? Right. Right. Yeah. And that's something precious to hold on to, you know, and I think that that now we're there's there's a huge eye that's looking at us from the rest of the world and seeing like, right, how how will the people react and how will it be fixed? And and so it just means that we have a lot of work to do. Okay, I want to switch gears back to the art, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. I'm curious to know about the challenges that you face building a career like uh in america and abroad and like how do you do it as as a visual artist so this is also being you know i mean you were talking earlier about you know that you went to qatar 
And I assume you went there, you know, um, as, a, as an artist, as a musician. Yes, I did. Right. And I think earlier we were also talking about it as a language. And we're, we're very fortunate that we use, that we have a universal language. I, you know, it's a two binary worlds. I mean, I can go and, and I'm, I try to make myself very open to the cultures that I'm in. I mean, I look for, I purposely look for artist residencies that are in different parts of the world. I apply. Sure, I get a lot of rejections, but I also get acceptances. And when I go, I represent myself. I'm there to represent myself as a woman, as an artist, as an Arab, um, and as an American. And and on all of those spectrums, I, I try to, to, I learn in those, you know, I take in what's around me and I take, I get inspired and I create art with it. And suddenly this art becomes a part of all of these identities. Mm-hmm. And so the most important thing for me, and I think for a lot of creatives is to just be true to themselves. You know, I mean, for me, I, I think it's very important not to just have, you know, the work that we create is a conversation, it's a dialogue, and we have to be inclusive of it. And that does not mean only in the United States, you know, and 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 outside, you know, I've had conversations with other creatives and other people in the art world saying, well, the United States is an island, and things that happen there, it's their own thing. And I, I want to break that. And I think it's very important that I look for, I mean, I have a gallery in Madrid and now I'm being represented by a gallery in Dubai. And right now I'm making a strong effort to try to do um, more artwork here, even if it is just, you know, partial ones. And so I'll be showing in Portland, Maine, um, and also just trying to engage in different in different things and meeting other people and building bridges. And that also means to introduce you know to introduce and try to say you know if other artists like try to encourage them and say hey you should go to this residency you would fit over there and i think visual art is not is something newer Mm. music music to me for example and I'd, i'd be interested to hear what you think about this but music is something that is an art that i think is as old as humans right right you know, it, it, it has a long legacy. It's something that reaches so deep into us. And it's something that when you when you travel, it can, you know, it can speak to them. And sometimes with visual art, it can be a little bit more challenging because people are not so familiar with it. So that, that sometimes is what, you know, how do you, how do you try to convince people and say, I, I'm curious to learn from you, but I'm also curious to, I'm, you know, curious to take, but I'm also really curious, you know, would like to give. And there's something that I would, I think that would be interesting to do over here. That's, I think that's the best part about being an artist. It's like, you have to always be honest with yourself in order to learn and grow. And, and, Absolutely. And as soon as you stop learning and growing, you know, you're lying or, you know, you're bullshitting yourself. So you just like, okay, I've got to make a change. You know, we're very yeah. self-aware. Yeah, exactly. And I'm curious because you, I mean, that was something that I saw in one of your, you had written, you know, you got to love the process. Right. And when I, when I saw that, I just thought I was like, oh, that, that's so spot on because I mean, how, how does the process work for you? I mean, what, what does that mean to you? The process to me is like that thing inside of you that you're always pushing forward. You know what I mean? So you, you grow a little bit, you get a little bit better. And then you you stagnate and then you recognize that and then you have to find a new way to grow because the old way doesn't work. So it, and you have to be comfortable at being uncomfortable because that's where the growth is, yes. you know, so. 
Yes. (laughs) You said it. You have to be, we're going to say that again. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That is so relevant to today, Darian. Yeah. That is so. Because we're all uncomfortable right now. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a moment. It's true. (laughs) Come on now. It's true. (laughs) It's true. It really is. I mean, you have to be, you have to be there's almost a danger of being too comfortable because you're just getting into, you know, you just stay in the same rhythm and, you know, every, you know, you're used to your comforts, but the minute you start shaking it up, things become a little bit more heightened. Things become more alive. Things become more, um, important, highlighted. Yeah. Now I want to talk about, you know, these last few weeks we had the women's March. Everyone was protesting everything. And I'm curious to know, like in your art, do you protest through your work or like, how does that process of uh, work for you? Like I said, I think it's I think it's a privilege for us as Americans that we can question things. And um, my work is political. There's no doubt about it, and 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 I'll say that it's a fact. And I and for example, when I was questioning, when I was doing the cast no evil, I talked about the concept of being included and excluded, being somebody who's always lived in in a place where I never really felt like I was from there. Mm. And I was always searching, you know, I mean, after, you know, I'm, we moved from Yemen, then we came to the States and then I, I left, I went to school in Wales, I got a scholarship and then I decided to take time off. Everybody should take time off after high school. I went to Vietnam. Wow. I came back, I went to university um, here for four years. And then I went, I was in New York for a year. And then I went to Morocco because I wanted to find this, you know, where I belonged. And I wanted to be in a place where I could speak Arabic again. And I kept trying to find myself Hmm. in places. And till I kind of finally realized that it was sort of a way of, I was escaping, you know, because yourself is you, really, you know, and that's where you sort of start looking into yourself. And, and I took a lot of time and I did a project called I speak an image where I thought there's so, and, and, and it was about traveling to five countries purely with an intention of looking at myself, in fact, questioning my comforts. And in the process, a lot of things came up and I basically just worked with images. I, I, you know, limited my speech with people. I went to countries where I didn't, couldn't read the language and I couldn't speak the language. I had to work with maps. I had to, you know, talk to people through a notebook where I would draw images and say, this is what I need. And I eventually made a dictionary of images, like a Pictionary actually, um, that I drew. And you can visit this page. It's called I Speak an Image. And they're, they're, they're stories that are between one photograph and 10 photographs, and they don't have any words. So it's for you to kind of figure out what's happening. And I, I suddenly realized that the barrier, the borders that we have are language. Hmm. And, and, and I was protesting verbal language because it, I, I really find that language also, I mean, also very much when simplified, you know, you can have it in advertisements, you can have, you know, things that kind of convince you, but at the same time, you know, it could also be propaganda when made and can be very dangerous. And when made very complicated and difficult, it's becomes totally inaccessible to a lot of people, just the choice of language that you use. And so just the, the, the idea of language is political. And, and so I started playing on this and I decided to reject it. And so I moved to something that was very visual, which was, which, which also made me, you know, myself, I mean, even in the, the way that I name 
my photographs, I, I name them only by some sort of a type, something that's actually in the photograph, like the color blue or like a stitch or weave. And so it doesn't give any, it doesn't give you any more detail of what I'm trying to say with that photograph. You need to find out what that, that photograph is about, which means that you go into yourself and there's certain disturbances. There's certain convictions that you have that strangely enough, when I talk to people about the, the same piece of work, different people, I have absolutely different conversations with different people. And inevitably, people's own personal political, cultural issues come up. Hmm. And that's really interesting because the work becomes a prop and the art actually happens between me and the viewer. Right. So these intimate conversations are important. And so image became this very strong, strong language. I mean, when you look up Yemen, for example, and you go to Google Maps, most of what you see are, you know, people with guns and you see bombings and you see broken down ruins. And that's not the Yemen I grew up in. I mean, it it has some of the most, uh, it, I had the most amazing upbringing in Yemen. It was, it was called Arabia Felix because it was the happiest Arabs. You know, that's what, that's what it was known for. It's an exquisite country. And so I thought, wow, even Google Images is producing a wrong image, right, <laughs> a wrong Yemen. language of Yemen. And so when you look up Muslim, for example, or Muslim women, you just get women who are covered entirely in black. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, wow, this is such a disservice, too. So it became sort of this goal of mine, this, this, this you know, for me, this importance to say it's my responsibility to produce an archive. And to so anywhere that I travel, even though I create these sort of abstract forms, I also collect documentary and I collect photographs and I share them. And so last, you know, I was in New Orleans and when we're talking about protests, especially now, it came up more than ever. It was December 2015 and it was during these primaries and the candidates, you know, were sort of being selected. And there was a lot of, you know, horrible, chauvinistic, xenophobic, racist agendas that were being pushed, you know, you know, just, I I couldn't even imagine, I couldn't believe what was happening. And I could see the danger that was happening. And suddenly when, when uh, Donald Trump decided to call Mexicans rapists, I mean, you know, Arabs and Muslims were called terrorists for 10 years now. And so I thought, all right, well, you know, and then, but suddenly when it started getting into, you know, Mexicans being rapists, and I I just thought, oh my gosh, this is going to start to grow. And eventually, of course, it did start to grow. And I thought, okay, I'm going to look up what Mexican is. And I looked up Mexican in Google Images, and there were some ridiculous photographs that were of a little short, stubby man with a sombrero and a mustache and, you know, sort of with a taco. And I thought, this is embarrassing. So Google Google (laughs) Images is racist. Um, I mean, I guess it's what we put into it, right? right? The images that it's not, that's a platform. And Mm -hmm. so it's what we put into it. It's the archive of images. And so you have to be very detailed in what you look for. And so that it started off with Mexico, actually. And I started looking at my own prejudices. And was I afraid? And I started asking people, you know what, I'm going to go to Mexico and I want to do a project. I need to find something that we have in common. Because this is divisive. You know, these elections are divisive and it's only going to get worse. And I need to find something that we have in common. And I'm going to, I want to go to different places and create an archive. And so, you know, I I started looking into it and I decided that I would work, continue working with fabric, fabric being something of the, of that earth. 
and also that is literally made with the linen, you know, with a cotton that's literally made from the earth, from the silk, from the silkworm. And then the patterns that are that come on it are actually the legacy. It's the culture manifested. And if you know Mexican textiles, probably some of the most amazing in the world, right. um, especially in the region in Oaxaca. And so I... I started there. And interestingly enough, when I was going, I had a lot of people who said, be careful, you might be kidnapped. Oh, my God. Oh, my. <laughs> and I was like, God, I'm sure they say that about Yemen all the time. So, <laughs> Right. You'll be fine. <laughs> so then I asked people who actually went to Mexico and everybody who went to Mexico said without a hit, they just said, it's the most amazing place. You're going to love it. You're absolutely going to love it. And and just that, even before going, and I went, and sure enough, it was just, it was magical. And I, and I continued on, and I, and I created a project where it also creates an infinity sign. The journey creates an infinity sign, which I always do, in a way to set the archive in a sense of infinity. We have these decisions that we make in art, and we should create those. And that was one of them. And so I went to Uzbekistan, oh, okay. which was seen as this sort of like Soviet stan in the middle of nowhere, you know, but it's the heart of the Silk Route, and it's a Muslim country, and it's very misunderstood. Um, so rich in its history, so and that was perfectly reflected in its textile. I went to Indonesia, which is the largest um, major. It's the largest majority Muslim country in the world, okay. actually. Yeah. Indonesia. Who would think that? Everybody thinks it's Saudi Arabia, but it's Indonesia. Marvelous place so comfortable in who they are and so again i worked with artisans i documented i took these i took the fabrics and i covered these i covered these the artisans and created this archive i went to japan vietnam india kenya morocco and i also featured nigeria wow. and so at the end it creates this work that's called that that was called people pattern and it was a way to give to the, the people of the united states of america actually mm. uh, to the world as well, but also to say the places that you have that are being judged through our social media and the cultures that are being judged they are so skewed just like you would and now i've kind of reformatted it and i'll be this is what i'll be presenting in madrid and dubai into a series called borderlands now can you can you explain to us what borderland versus border means so to me i think that a border is this sort of harsh man-made demarcation it's like a, it, and i would even call it a scar you know borders are shifting all the time it's a question of power in yemen i experienced it because these you know when you have a tribe and then you suddenly have a government who says we're going to cut a border right through your tribe it's a thing that divides people. It, it's very clearly black and white, which I don't believe exists. Whereas borderlands is something that's a little bit more natural. It's a porous zone that sort of is between two groups of people. And it's the place where they intersect, you know, where they meet, where they, where they sort of not necessarily collide, but it's it's this space where a lot of and a good and it doesn't have to be only physical. Actually, a good one that you know it could be with language. So, for example, like patois, you know, yeah. or 
or for example in in france there's a there the a lot of the north african arabs like algerians and moroccans who the french when they colonized algeria of course a lot of arabs went to france and so they they would speak french but then they couldn't quite speak the arabic of their homeland so they ended up creating another language that was called verlin which huh. actually means they will take a word and then they'll break it into the syllables and they put the last syllable at the beginning. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so they've created their own language and they've empowered themselves as French Arabs. And it's it's an it, it also created this, you know, it's a huge part of the music. It also created a whole culture of music and eventually it created its own culture. Wow. Um called Verlain. And actually, if you take Verlain and you turn it the other way, it's l'envers, which means the opposite. Wow. To turn around. So that's the borderlands. And so these characters that I photographed over the series of the seven months that I traveled, it was then to pull out, because what I realized was that a lot of people were living on these borderlands and a lot of people were questioning, you know, it made me think about what is a nation and what is a community and what is a household and what is this notion of the people who leave and the people who are coming, you know, who want to come back, what happens to them when they leave? And then when they come back, they feel like they're sort of, you know, they're different. You know, there's something that's changed about them. I don't know if you ever travel that you you go away and you stay there for a long time. And then when you come back, you're like, wow, I'm a little bit different. And there's some things now that people just won't understand. 100%. (laughs) Right. That's you also experiencing that. And it's sort of like when you're away, like what, you know sometimes when people are away, like if they, you know, we're talking about words like migrant workers, sex trafficking, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people who have been stuck, exiles, asylum seekers, refugees, even veterans, even expatriates, nomads, you know, all of these people, these, these, these individuals who will leave. And when you're in a new place, you're an outcast. Right. And there's a danger because the outcast becomes sort of a villain. Yeah. You know, but, and what's scary about that is that even, you know, you're sort of because there's this there's this confusion. What's scary is that when that's even in a community, when there's an outcast, there's always this sort of mutation where that person, because they're so different, are somehow seen as a villain. They're like criminalized and yet they've done nothing, exactly. you know, yeah. it's it's just, you know, so so it's this these questions. And it's more about, like I said, raising the questions about who are these people on the borderland, especially now with the situation that's happening in Syria and about refugees. I mean, my God, they're see, they're refugees. They're seeking refuge. Exactly. And all of these people who are exiles, asylum seekers, I mean, we have to categorize them and differentiate them. And each of them then have a different value of mobility. Mm. And, to me, that's a problem because they're all suffering and they're all escaping and they all have a wealth of a lot of them have a wealth of knowledge. They're right. not the the people who are they don't want to leave their homes. Of course they don't. They be, I mean, of course. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is these are the questions that I kind of think like, wow, we really need to revisit this like, yeah, for sure. and break this down into conversations. And so this work also becomes about how these the 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 second body of work, this Borderlands, where the 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 portraits that I do are kind of eerie, and they, they're kind of and the, the idea is to actually look at them a little bit. I mean, they're aliens. Mm-hmm. They're foreign, and that's actually what we call people that are non-natives. We call them aliens, aliens. Damien. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. 
So we also have to question language in all of this. Well, and at the end of the day, are they just displaced people? Right. I think people need a way to dehumanize people so that they feel comfortable, you know, ostracizing them or like excluding them from their group. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, you know, that we're really good at that in America. It started with the Native Americans and then we did it to African slaves and so on and so forth, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's something which is really interesting because even if we talk about we talk about Native Americans who have been here way longer than you know any of the colonists who have come in, and um, and even though that they some of them still have their land, they're seen as reservations, right? And mm. and there's still this kind of loss of sense of community, right? That has been broken up. That there's these borders that have just been drawn on them. You know, these have become scars. And the problem is, is that we're still dealing with that today. Right. When we're talking about African slaves, there's this such a strong, I went on a study um, with um, uh, and the African Studies Department from Wellesley, and we went to Ghana. And we had a really long, long discussion about the sense of longing and belonging. Yep. And I think that that day, it was an entire day changed so much of how I see things, hmm. you know, and realizing, wow, everyone's experience is their own. And there's also an, there's also an importance of realizing that there can be empathy, but this is also important about the borderland. You, you, some, you just cannot pretend to understand everyone's experience. Exactly. And you shouldn't try. You have to be honest about that, that sometimes it's important to be on the borderland and, you know, to be on the, and, and on the fringe and to kind of say, you know, I can try to, to access this as long as I completely understand that I won't understand this, you know? And, um, yeah, there's a lot of these, and it's the same, like, you know, now we're talking about the situation of refugees and, and why is it important that we support this? You know, why, why is it, why, because this is, they're stuck in this nowhere land and yet we're vilifying them. And like you're saying, dehumanizing them exactly. and that we have come to a point where we have to use photographs by journalists of a baby washed up. Right. We to, need that to make them human. Yeah. To evoke any emotion. That's disgusting. You know, that, that <laughs> is like horrifying to yeah. me. Um, and, and, and I just think this makes us even more to think about how we, in, in the conversations that we have and the people, and know who that we're talking to, breathe, <laughs> and know that who we're talking to and say everybody also, we access them differently. Some people, you know, will, will listen to you in a different way. Some people will, you know, they, can, they might listen to the music and kind of say, wow, that's just unbelievable. And and something will move in them, you know, just people react in different ways. But it's our responsibility to be aware of that now even more and see how that it can become a part of our daily life and conversation. One hundred percent. Now, this leads me to my next question. How can we come together to show people that fear isn't the way fear isn't the answer? Who is the we? We as a people like I mean, the United States, really, like. Or just we as a people in the world, because we all tend to fear each other. Like, you know, like, I, for instance, when I was in Qatar um, at the souk, like people would ask me where I was from. And when I would say America, like, you know, the vibe would change. Or like this Pakistani guy was cutting my hair and I said I was from America. Then he, would, he no longer wanted to talk to me, you know. And it was, you know, and I'm just like, I'm just assuming it's based on like this, this notion of fear or hate. And I just think fear breeds every other terrible emotion. You know what I mean? 
I think that's that's right. Because um, when you said fear and hate, I think you're right. Um, so to me, fear, I think it goes to how, how I would define fear. And for me personally, I, do, I, I, I would call it the unknown. Mm. And we're, we're afraid of what we don't know. And sometimes people, I think, don't know how to deal with the not knowing. So it's much easier to just label it, categorize it, and put it aside and say, that's what it is. And that's how I feel about it next. And sometimes this is an occasion where things have been brought up to the spotlight. You know, I think that we, and I feel so strongly about this, that this has changed through education, through our classrooms, through music gatherings, through galleries. I think it's important to make things more accessible, especially in the visual arts. Um, and, and I try to work on that. Like I'm telling you, yeah, they're galleries, but I also make sure that, 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 I go that I always do artist talks that I do interviews that I try to do workshops. Um, so, so how do we get away from the sphere? It's, we can only do, I mean, I speaking for myself, the only way that I can work on that is to work in as an individual right. and go into communities with my art there, but also use it as an opportunity to get to know individuals, get to know people, you know, make myself open to questions and also go and have conversations with people who, I mean, for example, on my Facebook, I have a few people who've sent me information, you know, sent me not so nice messages, <laughs> if I will say, and who have participated in conversations, but I, you know, on, on my feed, but I really, I don't cut them off. Right. That's, and, and man, sometimes I have that feeling, but breathe. And I just, I don't cut them off and I respond and say, if this is your way of trying to engage in a conversation, I'm open for it, but do another introduction, right. you know, ask me a question. Um, and you know, I, I think it's through knowledge. I think it's through communication and not necessarily verbal communication. I think also now that we, we can appreciate our passports more. I mean, when you're knowing that now we have people who even have their green cards who have legal status, that they're questioning whether or not they can come in and out. Um, that you know, so now even it's even more of a reason to say, "Wow, we should really appreciate a lot more of what we have and use it and travel, and share that knowledge and engage in conversation and sometimes and engage in di you know, exchange." And sometimes you're right, like you're talking about this this gentleman who just sort of had this you said you felt like he just had this fear or this hate or this anger towards you. That may not be a great place to have a conversation with the man because it takes two. Right. Of course. So, you know, it's about setting, I, I think it goes, I mean, it's hard to answer this question. I'm sorry because it's also, but the way that I do it is that it's through my art. I make sure that I lecture, I seek out places where I can, you know, I try to open, make my art about questions, not about answers, and make it as a space for dialogue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'm not trying to vilify the guy, you know, who was cut my hair. I no, mean, no, it, no. It, it it happened a few times with different people, and I and I think it was mainly because of the rhetoric that was coming from America, from uh, Trump, and and the you know the whole all those people, and you know people were defensive, so they didn't know where I stood. They just knew I was from America, and they associated me with that, so they immediately were like okay, I don't want to talk to you anymore or whatever. You know what I mean? No, I completely, look, it goes both ways. And I think that, you know, I had that feeling, I get that feeling. I mean, I had that feeling when I was living in New York 
and I never changed what I how I you know introduced myself as a Yemeni Bosnian American and it's a way of staying true to myself and when I you know, I was at a gig and I remember this guy and I said, said, oh, I'm a Yemeni Bosnian American. And he's like, what is that? And I said, I'm a Yemeni. And right after I said that, he was like, you bombed us. Oh, wow. And he said, you know, so you're like a terrorist. Wow. And and I just I, I, I mean, at that moment, I wasn't, you know. That was probably the first time that it that somebody full on had this, you know, and he was a bigger guy and he had this confrontation and it was in the evening and and I just thought, you know, I'm going to step away from this. And I just I, I still to this day question whether or not I've engaged, but I know that at that time that wouldn't have helped anything. Right. You know, because it just wasn't the timing. And I go also abroad and when I say, oh, yeah, American, well, they're, you know, Americans are, you know, ridiculous. They're awful. They're so ignorant. And then I immediately say, well, what music do you listen to? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, what, what's on what's on your what's on your, you know, iPod? OK, let's yeah. stop right there. Beyonce? You know, all right. Done. Right, exactly. <laughs> or um, you know what I mean, like you know Ella Fitzgerald or somebody or any sort right. of. She probably don't even know if she her name's Ella Fitzgerald, but that's all right. right. Um, you know Bob Dylan, you know Jimi Hendrix, all of these people, like whatever. So, and and I you know and I talk about some of the amazing people who have influenced me, and I think it's something that we need to remember that especially in this time we shouldn't have their their efforts go in vain. You know, there are a lot of activists as, as you know, now, you know, being an Arab American artist who, um, whose work is quite political. It doesn't, the people who have influenced me are not only Arabs or Muslims or Americans. They're people like, you know, Gloria Steinem, Angela Davis, Virginia Woolf, um, you know, W.H. Auden, James Baldwin, you know, all of these people that, that for the efforts they did, <laughs> we now to, need to do it for them too. Kind of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like to ask, we're getting to the end here, if that's okay. No. I know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, like to, I like to ask everybody uh, who comes on the show this this one question. And if you listen to it, you've probably heard it, you know. But I just like to know what you're most thankful for. Three things. I have to limit it. <laughs> I am most thankful for my mother. Um, who her entire life was an exclude. Um, and she taught me how powerful it is to live on the border. You don't have to identify as what other people identify. You're the one who creates that. Somebody who was a professor did architecture and linguistics, but actually wanted to become a photographer and a fashion designer, but just couldn't. And so because of her and her support, my father's support as well, they were absolutely were totally enthusiastic about yeah go do art <laughs> and they've supported me um incredibly so i'm very thankful for my education because a lot about my education a lot of it has to do with my university with wellesley is that it, it is what made me the woman that i am and i think a lot of people go through life not realizing the power that they have as women and there it made me realize that i just don't i actually don't have borders you don't have to see them as borders <laughs> you can just see them as something else and you can overcome them i think for the third one i'm pretty i'm very gosh i'm stuck between two but um I'll say two more it's fine okay <laughs> thank <laughs> you i'm really thankful for having 
the one of them is definitely having the passport. And why I say this, um, and being an American in this sense, because if had I not had that opportunity and had I not become an American, I would not have had the access and the mobility to and the possibility to question things to the extent that I do to visit the places that I did and to, you know, to at least learn and to continue being a student and to have also, you know, different places. And because of that mobility to be able to share my work. Mm. So I'm, I'm really thankful for those liberties. Yeah. That's, I think that's something that if anything that's happening right now, I hope that people can appreciate it as much as I do. And it's good that we're ending because I'm about to get teary. I, I can imagine my life had I not had it, and I would be, you know, I possibly would have been in this war in Yemen right now. Hmm. And at least I'm now here on a podcast talking to you about um, how we can change, make a difference, and what we can do. And and I'm also very thankful for everybody who supported me in doing this because it's not only my parents. A lot of people, actually, the whole project that I was doing now, Borderland, was funded by individuals i did an indiegogo and it was it was really incredible that people were throwing in i mean let me tell everybody who's out there on a podcast artists arts professionals uh you know whoever is listening to this that if somebody gives you a project and they're asking you for money they're not asking you for a hundred dollars they're asking you for five and it's okay we can also be producers and we we can support each other even with five bucks. And 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 I ended up raising ten thousand dollars with people putting in between five bucks, one hundred bucks. Some people who you know who could put in more, they certainly did. And it's so appreciated. And now it's a work that I hope will resonate not only here but to the rest of the world. And it's because of you that it's being produced. So, wow. and it's changed how I look at producing other people's stuff. I mean, anything you know. I shouldn't. Well, now people are going to be like, "Yeah, you should fund it." But if right. it's a project that I believe in, I will, yeah. even if it's small. It's um, it's something. There it is. Sure. Listen, I want to thank you so much for coming on on the Working Artist Project today, man. Oh, I want people to to make sure they check out your art. What's your um website? Oh, thank you. It's um a alia dash ali dot com. So that's a l i a dash a l i dot com. Cool. I'll make sure I link that in the description along with her bio and a bunch of other links. So click them all, check it out. And uh, yeah, man. Oh, wait, man. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It was I really fun. want to tell you th- this was such an honor. It was really fun. I have to say, I was a, you know, one get always gets a little bit anxious at the beginning, but you really, um, you make it so comfortable. And oh. thank you. Thank you for creating such an intimate space. Oh, man. I, I don't it. know if you heard, but my dog was back here snoring the whole time. She was real comfortable. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so, perfect. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Later. Take care. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Working Artist Project. Before you go, I need you to do a few more things. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on iTunes and Facebook. I would love to connect with each and every one of you. It would also be awesome if you guys could check out my Patreon page. The link will be in the description. Click the link below. Become a patron. I'll catch you guys later. Peace.